I'm excited. Uh, Again, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here and just thrilled to be able to dig into God's Word with you this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, uh, if you don't have a Bible for for yourself this morning, we have some. We'd love to give you one after the service. You can head back to our Connect table. We'd love to pass one off to you. Uh, If you've got your phone and you've got the YouVersion app, the Bible app, then you can pull up there our sermon notes. Uh, If you go down to the Live tab and find Church of Cane Bay, those notes are there for you as well. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to tell you guys a little story um, about something that happened to me almost a month ago. Uh, I was laying in bed at night trying to calm down from the day, and I was scrolling through my phone and scrolling through Twitter, and I saw something that made me panic. Most of you know uh, that I am a big fan of Star Wars. I know you're like, really, another sermon, another Star Wars illustration, but here we go. Uh, Emily and I were really excited about The Force Awakens coming out. We were thrilled to be able to watch this movie. We'd watched all the other movies, getting ready for it. And, but I'd made a decision, what I thought was a healthy decision, that I was going to wait until the holidays started, and I was kind of on break with my family to go see this movie because I had a lot of stuff going on. And so I'd made a healthy, disciplined decision to do that. But I'm on my phone, and it's a few days before the movie comes out. And I start scrolling through Twitter, and all of a sudden, everybody on Twitter is saying that there are about to be major spoilers on the internet for this movie. And so I panicked, and I had to make a decision. One, I've got to give up the internet until the holidays start. Or two, I've got to go see this movie so nobody is going to spoil it for me. And so I immediately switched over to the Fandango app. And... (laughs) I bought tickets for the opening night, and Emily and I went to see it, and it was wonderful. But at that moment, it was the only thing that mattered. It was so urgent in my life that I buy those tickets, and then it wasn't going to be spoiled for me. I went to the office the next day, and I was like, David, you have got to buy tickets because somebody's going to tell you what happens in this movie. And he's like, I promised my brother I was going to go see it with him. So I feel like a lot of us live our lives under what's become known as the tyranny of the urgent. That we find things in life that become so urgent that that's all that we can think about, it's all that we can focus on. And if you've ever been a procrastinator before, I used to be one, uh, you know that if you put things off until the very last minute, that's the only thing that matters. Nothing else in your life has anything to do with anything. That is the only thing that matters. And when we live life that way, we jump from one hectic and one urgent thing to another urgent thing and to another urgent thing. And it's an exhausting way to live. You guys probably know this. And I believe that God's word tells us that there's a better way for us to live. In fact, that we are often urgent about the wrong things. When is the last time that we felt urgency about our relationship with the Lord? We felt urgency about getting into God's word, urgency about our prayer life. And so Peter is writing in 1 Peter chapter 4, and he's writing to a group of believers and Christians who are scattered kind of all throughout the region. They're not gathered in one city anymore, but they're scattered all over and they're facing persecution. And Peter's writing to them and he's urging for them to be faithful, to be faithful to the gospel, to be faithful to the word of God. And as he's writing to these believers, he wants them to know there is a reason that you must be urgent and there are things that you must be urgent about. 
And his message that's the same for them, I believe, is the same message for us today. And at the church at Cane Bay, we place a lot of urgency around our mission. You guys have heard it. I said it earlier. Fair warning. I'm going to say this about 10 times today. And our mission is that every man, woman, and child in a 10-mile radius of right here has multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what our church is about. We want to be a people who are sent out into our communities so that people can know the hope of Jesus. And the way that we do that is through our missional communities. And today we're going to talk a lot about missional communities and how I believe that God's word is directing us to be plugged in and to be engaged and to be involved. But before we get into that, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 7. And Peter says this, he says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The first thing that I think that we can see from this passage is that we need to be urgent about our growth. This is the kind of thing that we think about a lot of times this year. This time of year, as we're thinking about a new year and how we want things to be different and how we want things to change, we make what we call resolutions. Who made a resolution this year? Not many of you. All right. (laughs) But we oftentimes, when we're thinking about resolutions, we think about, hey, I'm too busy. I need to change this in my life. I need to get in shape this year. I need to do this. But when was the last time that instead of just focusing there, that we took time to focus on our growth and on our growth in the Lord? And as Peter is writing here in verse 7, he's telling the believers, he says, the end of all things is at hand. This is why we have urgency. This is why it's so important that we focus on the right things and not on the wrong things, because the end of all things is at hand. And Peter's not saying Jesus is coming back today. He's not even necessarily saying Jesus is coming back next week or next month. But what Peter is saying is that we are at a point in history when all the major events that need to take place for Jesus to come back have already taken place. God created the world. Uh, God created man. Man fell. Uh, God gave us the law. Jesus came and offered us a way as he was born to experience salvation. He lived a perfect life. He took our sins upon himself. He died on a cross and we are given life as he achieved new life and rising from the dead. All of these things that have to happen for Jesus then to come back and he ascends have happened. And Peter is simply saying that right now the return of Jesus, the end of all things is at hand, meaning that it's at hand in the day of Peter and it's at hand in our day today. And we have got to become being urgent about the right things. So what does Peter say that we need to be urgent about? The first thing that he says is self-control. That we need to be people who are self-controlled. That we're not given to overindulgence. That we're not given to things that are going to distract us from what God wants us to focus on. But we're able to focus in on the things that matter and that we're able to let go of some of the things that aren't as important. We're able to be self-controlled. He also says that we have a sober mind 
Literally, just this idea that we have a clear mind, that we can see things clearly, that we're not distracted by the craziness of life. I know we've all been distracted by the craziness of life. All these false urgencies that creep in and say, I'm the only thing that matters. I've got to focus here. Having a sober mind and a clear mind means that we are able and we're willing to set that stuff aside and focus on what really matters. And Peter is telling us that if we do that, if we focus on self-control and we focus on this idea of a sober mind, then it will lead to this growth in prayer that we are able to grow in our prayer with the Lord. And I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes my prayer life is a struggle. I'm sure it's been a struggle for you too. And a lot of times when we pray, we come to God because we're praying about the urgent. We're praying about the urgent things that are in our life and they're emotional. And we're, God, you've got to help me with this. God, you've got to deal with this. Lord, I need you to take care of this. But what Peter has in mind in prayer here isn't an emotional response to the craziness of life. It's a disciplined life of prayer. It's something that we have, that we do every day, that we've scheduled time to spend with the Lord. It's birth out of self-control, and it's birth out of a sober mind. When I was in college, a freshman, I won an award, and I thought it was a pretty exciting thing Uh, The crazy thing was, is that I won an English award, and I was a computer science major. And so I wrote a paper my freshman year in my English composition class, and uh, it was a creative writing paper, and my teacher took that paper, and he turned it in for this, like, freshman composition award. And so at the end of the year, they had all these selections, and they selected my paper. I'm a computer science major, and so when they come to me and say, hey, you won the freshman composition award, like you beat out all the English majors for this award, I'm like, hey, now we're talking. Because truthfully, I was terrible at computer science because it was based out of math, and I was horrible at math. I'd always loved reading, and I'd always loved writing. And so I was like, you know what, maybe I should be an English major instead. And so I switched my major, and my sophomore year, I started as an English major in my college. And I moved into my British literature class, and I had a class with the head of the English department at my college, and his name was Dr. Travers. He's a great godly man. Um, and we had our first, got to the point where we had our first formal English paper that was due, and so I'm like, this is my time to shine. I won this award, like, this is my opportunity. And so I get this paper, and I'm writing it. I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever written. Nothing is ever going to top this. It's incredible. And I'm like, artsy a little bit, and so I'm putting all these, like, similes and metaphors and all this kind of stuff in there, and I'm like, they're going to love it. Turn the paper in. The day I get it back, I look at it, and it says C-. minus. My heart's breaking at this point. I'd invested everything into this paper. And so I set up a meeting with my professor, and I'm like, hey, what happened? And he said, you have no idea how to write a formal English paper. But he didn't leave me there. Thankfully, he handed me a book. He gave me some exercises to work on. And he said, I know you can do this. You've just never really done it before. Uh, So take this stuff, work on it, and over time I was able to use those exercises and discipline my life so that I became a better writer to where my grades eventually got better than a C-, minus, which is wonderful. But I had someone who cared for me and someone who helped me along the way, and as I was able to discipline myself, things got better. I feel like my prayer life is like that sometimes. Sometimes I might feel like my prayer life is good when I'm just praying to God out of the urgency of life, the emotional response. 
Um, But over this past year, I kind of realized that I need to step up my prayer life. It needs to be more consistent. I need to be better about spending time with the Lord. And God has been gracious to grow me in self-control and clear-mindedness when it comes to prayer. Uh, There's a few things that I kind of focused on this year to make that better. I'm going to throw these up here. I think these are good tips. If they're helpful to you, then I hope that maybe you'll take them and use them as well. The first one is begin and end your day in prayer. When I wake up and when I go to sleep are not my best moments. I'm not really thinking very clearly, but I can think clearly enough to kind of set a focus for myself. And every morning when I wake up, I pray a prayer that's a verse from Psalm 19. And it says this, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, I've memorized that verse. And so I don't really have to think too hard when I wake up in the morning and I'm getting out of bed, but I can focus my mind for the day just for a moment as I pray that to the Lord and kind of set the course of my day and giving that to God. And the same thing when I go to sleep at night, I'm praying a short prayer to God, God, this has been my day. I hope that it's been for your glory. I want to live for your glory simply. Another idea, number two, pray through your scripture study. As you study through Scripture, I was always good at studying Scripture and journaling through Scripture. And here at Church of Cane Bay, we journal through Scripture with a method called the SOAP method. And the SOAP method ends with P, which is prayer. And the whole idea of that is that we take the things from God's Word that we need to apply into our lives and we pray those things. And it's so important that as we read God's Word that not only do we apply it, But we realize that we can't do it on our own strength and that it's only by the strength of God that we are able to grow and that we are able to become more like Jesus. And so we ask Jesus to make us more like that. We ask Jesus to make us more like him and we pray to God through what God is teaching us through scripture. Number three, don't waste your empty moments. We all have empty moments in our day. Most of them are when we're traveling from one point to another. Maybe we're driving, maybe we're walking from our car Uh, to work or something like that, but moments where we are able, kind of without distraction, we just put ourselves on on autopilot and move, we are able to focus those in prayer. I've always been a guy who listens to a lot of podcasts and music when I'm in the car, and over this year, I've kind of toned that down a little bit so that I can spend more time as I'm driving, focused on just communication with God, just talking to my Lord, and it's been really beneficial. Number four, keep a list. This is something that I can't recommend enough. That as you know things that you're praying for, write them down. Whether it's writing out your prayers or whether it's just making a list, whatever it is, write a list down of the things that you're praying for. And listen, don't just keep a list of other people that you're praying for, but keep a list of what you need in your life. Keep a list of the things that you're praying for God to work on in your heart and your life. The great thing about a list is not only does it keep you focused in your prayers as you're kind of moving down this, not being distracted, but also you're able to see when God answers prayers and you have an opportunity to mark those things off and have a moment of worship and glorifying Jesus as he has met those needs. And lastly, number five, pray like Jesus. When in doubt, if you don't know what to pray, open up Matthew 6. Jesus gave his disciples a prayer to pray and it's a great place to start. So we've got to be urgent about our growth But number two, we need to be urgent about our community. We have a lot of urgency in our lives that's built up about us. 
But God is calling us to be urgent about others and to care for others as well. We see this in verses 8 through 11. In verse 8, it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, Peter's saying this is the most important thing. This is what matters. Above any other kind of trait that you could show to somebody else, you need to show love. And he says, above all, show love earnestly. Show genuine love, not fake love, not surface level love where you're just saying, hey, and you don't really care about people, but you're just being nice because you live in the South. Genuine love, love that matters, love that makes a difference, love that goes the distance. And ultimately, we show genuine love to people because we pursue a God who's shown genuine love to us. God's love's not surface level. It's not fake. It's not false. It's real. And we imitate the love that God has shown us as we love other people as well. He also says we do this because love covers a multitude of sins. People in our lives are going to make mistakes. And a lot of times when people make mistakes and they wrong us, the easy thing to do is to cut them off and turn away from them. But that's not the way of Scripture. It's not the way of Jesus. And Peter is telling us that love covers a multitude of sins, that it forgives, that it forgets. When Peter came to Jesus... And he said, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother when my brother wrongs me? Peter says, should I do it seven times? What does Jesus say? He says, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. And Jesus isn't telling us that 490 times is the amount of times that we are to forgive somebody. Although I think that if we could do that, that'd be really good. Like most of us haven't made it anywhere close to that. Jesus is just pointing out, you're not even thinking, like you just need to forgive. It's infinite. It goes over and over and over again, no matter how someone hurts us, no matter how someone wrongs us. I think we see a great example of this in 1 Corinthians 13, which has kind of become known as the love chapter a little bit. I'm going to have these verses up on the screen, but I'll read this starting in verse 4. It says, love is patient and kind. It bears with people in a relationship. Love does not envy or boast. It doesn't just want what somebody else has. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. Love doesn't mean, doesn't mean that I get what I want. It's not irritable or resentful. That word for resentful there, some of your translations um, might say that love keeps no record of wrongs, and that's literally the idea that's there. That when someone wrongs us, if we love them, we don't keep a record of that. We forgive them, and we forget about it. It says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That is a high bar. And if we looked at our lives and said, am I living up to it? Am I showing the kind of love that I need to show according to God's word? We're going to fall short. But this is just something that we work to. And I think it's a great test. And I think there's something that you can do with this passage to figure out ways that you need to grow in your relationship with the Lord. And I want to encourage you to do this sometime. Take this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 uh, through 8. And anywhere that it says love or anywhere that it says it, take that out and put your name there and see if it's true. So when you read it, it says, Joel is patient and kind. Joel does not envy or boast. Joel is not arrogant or rude. Joel does not insist on Joel's own way. Joel is not irritable or resentful. Those things are not all true about me. But I can read the word of God that way and I can 
I can see areas that I need to grow in love. I can see ways that I need to grow to be more like Jesus in the way that I love. And I would encourage you guys, take some time and work through that. Genuine love forgives. And it's the main virtue that we as God's people are to pursue because it is God's main virtue. In verse 13, at the bottom of that, it says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Romans 13 tells us that love is the fulfillment of the law. And Jesus summed up the law by saying that the law is basically that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Both of those are love. We know the Lord more by loving him more, and that we are to take care of others by loving them more. Love is the thing that we pursue as believers as people who are following Jesus. In verse, the next verse, verse uh, 10, he moves on from this idea of love. In verse 9, I'm sorry, and he says, hospitality, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That we're literally this idea that we are willing to invite people and accept people into our lives and into our homes, that they are a part of us. They become a part of our family. In biblical times when this was written, um, when Christians were traveling to a different town and they had to stay somewhere, they didn't stay at inns. Inns were, hotels were not the kind of place that you stayed at. They were undesirable. The wrong kind of people stayed there. They were dangerous. And so when Christians traveled, they would stay with other Christians. They would move in with other Christians for a little while. And this is the kind of thing that Peter has in mind, that we are hospitable, that we are inviting people into our lives. And not just that, but that we do it without grumbling, that we do it without complaining, that we're joyful as we show hospitality. In number, verse 10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, that we are people, every one of us, and God has given us a gift, at least one, probably more, that we are to use in his service and for his glory. Some of us sometimes have, we lean in the direction of using the gifts and the abilities that God has given us for ourselves, for our own glory, so that when we're acting and when we're doing these things, people look at us and they say, wow, that guy, that guy. But it needs to be that as we're using the gifts and the abilities that God has given us, people when they look at us and they're like, that God, that God who has given him these wonderful gifts and these wonderful abilities, we don't keep them to ourselves, but we use them to serve the kingdom. He says it's urgent because we're stewards of the very grace of God. And if the people in our lives, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors are going to look at us and see Jesus and see the grace of Jesus They see it as we serve using the abilities that God has given us to serve. And if we're not taking those abilities and using them to serve the Lord, then they're not able to clearly see who God is. They're not able to clearly see who Christ is in our life. Others don't see him. We need community. We're not meant to do this on our own. We're not meant to carry out the gospel and the work of the kingdom by ourselves. And here at Church of Cane Bay, we do this through missional communities. We believe strongly that missional communities are the place that you and all of us need to plug in to allow the gospel to live out in the context of community. 
And so I've got a few tips, a few ideas that you can take and look and say, am I allowing the gospel to work out in community? Here's some tests for you. Number one, this idea is simply of the you need community. You need gospel community. If you're not plugged into a gospel community, and here, if you're not plugged into a missional community, you are missing out on what the Lord has for you. Sunday morning is not going to be enough for you. We have a great time on Sunday morning. It's an incredible time of worship. I'm thankful that we have the chance to gather together. But it's also rushed. We're doing a lot of different things, setting up and tearing down and making sure that kids are covered and making sure that our greeters are taken care of and all these different kinds of things. It's not the ideal place for you to build a relationship. And I can promise you that there's going to come a moment in your life, whether it's a tragedy or whatever it may be, where you're going to need something more. And if you're just plugged in on Sunday morning, you're going to look at our church and you're going to say, it's not enough for me. But if you take the step to move into the community that God desires you to be invested in, in a missional community, you are going to have that family that you need. It's the difference of being, going to see a, see a sporting event, watching the teams play, and not even caring about either one of them. You're just there, you're watching people, they're doing their thing, and you're like, great, that's wonderful. Or, on the flip side, going to a sporting event, and you're a fan, you're bought in, you're all in, like my Clemson fans who are ready for the game tomorrow. You're like invested in this, you're ready to go, and you're behind it. You've bought into the mission, you've bought into what's happening, you are a part of the family. We need gospel community, and we need it consistently. There's going to come a point this semester, it happens every spring, life gets crazy, life gets busy, we get distracted by a thousand things, and we feel like, you know, I can set this aside for a little while while I focus on these other urgencies in life. And it's not enough. God has designed you to be in community, and he's designed us to be faithful to community. Number two, we need to lead with love. Think back to those characteristics in 1 Corinthians 13. We need to be showing those in the context of missional community. In my missional community, I'm sure a lot of yours, we refer to each other as family. And the reason that we do it is not because we want a warm and fuzzy feeling when we're together, but it's because it's true. Because God has called us family and we are to live as family. And when I think about real family, I think about the fact that in family there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of hope, but there's also a lot of hard, difficult moments of brokenness. And when you're a family and you go through something difficult together, you're wronged by somebody in your family, what do you do? Ultimately, you press on, you work it out, you find solutions, and you compromise because you're family, because you love each other. And it's the same way for our church and the same way for our missional communities. If we are the family of God, literally brothers and sisters of Christ, That when difficulty comes in our missional community and someone angers us or irritates us or we have a problem with something, that we're not just going to turn away and walk away, but instead we're going to come together because we are brothers and sisters who are held together by the gospel of Jesus and say, how do we find a solution? How do we work through this? We're family. That is what family does. Number three, show hospitality. Are you showing hospitality in your missional community? Are you helping out to provide dinner as you guys meet together? Are you inviting people from your missional community into your home so that you can become more of a family throughout the week? Are you helping to host, opening up your home to invite other believers in? 
as a family. A lot of you are part of a missional community where you guys rotate, where you meet from week to week. You meet in different houses. I think that's incredible because it allows your group to exercise this gift of hospitality. You literally are inviting other believers in, preparing your home, and you're showing hospitality. Some of you guys are in a group where you meet in the same place every week, and that place is the home of your leader. Let me encourage you this morning. That is an opportunity for you to show hospitality. For you to go to your leader and say, hey, why don't we meet at my house? I want to open it up. I want to invite everybody to come in, to be a part of what's happening here. We can meet in my home. I can promise you that is going to put a lot less stress on your leaders. It's going to help them be more effective and help them buy in because it's a serious deal to get your house ready every week to invite people to come into it. And you can make a big difference by showing hospitality and inviting your family in. Number four, use your gifts. What are the gifts and what are the abilities that God has given you? I actually want you to turn your bulletin over to where the sermon notes are on the back. God has given each of us gifts and abilities, and I want you to write down what you believe the gifts or the abilities that God has given you are. Just write those down in that space. Once you write those things down, I want you to look at them and say, am I using this gift and this ability for the kingdom of God, or am I hoarding it to myself? Am I using this gift and this ability for the kingdom of God? Am I using it in the context of my missional community? Am I using it here on Sunday morning? Or am I keeping it for myself? If it's something that you haven't taken the step to plug in and use for the glory of God yet, this is a great opportunity. Think through that. Pray through that. Find an opportunity where you can learn better to use your gifts to serve the Lord. So we've got to be urgent about our growth. We need to be urgent about our community. Lastly, we need to be urgent about God's glory. Verse 11 says this, Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We look at this verse in the context of our missional communities. This is something that I really want us to focus on this year because I think we do a great job at serving the gospel and serving people, but I'm not so sure that we're there yet when it comes to speaking the gospel as we serve. He says that we are to speak as people who speak, it says oracles or literally the very words of God, that we're not pointing to ourselves and our eloquence, but that we're pointing to Jesus and his words, and his truth, and saying that it's only through him that you can be saved, not anything that I have to say. As we serve, we're not serving with our own strength so that people can look at us and say, look at that guy go. That's incredible. But we are serving in a way that uses the gifts that God has given us so that when people see us serve, they are seeing us serve for the glory of God and with the strength of God and not our own. This idea of glory, that everything that we do in life is to be done for the glory of God. There are no exceptions to that. Anything that you can think through in life that you do on a daily basis should be done for God's glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is what God's word teaches us. So what is God's glory? A really smart guy by the name of Wayne Grudem defines it this way. He says that the glory of God is the created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of himself. 
Literally, this idea that as God reveals who he is to us, as he shows us his grace, as he shows us his love, as he shows us his compassion, that it creates this brightness around who God is. And as we see this brightness and understand how great God is, we see the glory of God. And as we see God's glory, it is our responsibility as believers to be people who reflect it. That we are a mirror who reflect the brightness of God for the world to see. And if we're not reflecting the glory of God into the lives of others, we're missing the point of everything. When I was a student pastor, before I came here, my youth group's name was Doxa. I've got the logo for our youth group right there. Doxa is the Greek word for glory. I wanted my students to understand more than anything else that their life mattered because their life was about the glory of God. Every action that they did, every word that they said, every single thing that they did was for the glory of God. Our theme verse was 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. The glory of God is the reason that we do everything in life. There is no difference. It changes when we start thinking this way. It changes the reason that we do this, the, the things that we do, but it also changes the way that we do the things that we do. Think about an issue like parents, like disciplining your children. When you think about punishing or disciplining your child, a lot of us think about that as punishment when we're disciplining our children. All right, my kid did something bad, so I'm going to punish them so they don't do it again. But if we were thinking about how do I discipline my kid for the glory of God, we would be thinking differently. And we would be saying, you know what? It's not just about punishing my kid. I want my kid to grow in self-control. I want my kid to grow in sober-mindedness. I want my kid to grow in prayer. And so I'm going to focus this energy and this discipline on seeing that they learn how to grow to love Jesus and to reflect his glory more. It's a total mind shift. And even that can be done for the glory of God, and we've got to make our lives be more about being people who are reflecting the brightness of God for the world to see that in everything we do, we're thinking about this. And we cannot do that without speaking the good news of Jesus. If we don't speak who Jesus is, no one is going to know why we do what we do. I've got on my wrist a Fitbit. This is a Fitbit charge. This is the fourth Fitbit charge that I have owned. I will tell you something about these things. They tend to break. Okay? Maybe, I don't know if it's just me, but like they start to come apart at the seams, and before you know it, it's just totally falling apart. But every time that happens, I call Fitbit. And I say, hey, Fitbit, my Fitbit charge just broke again. And here's what Fitbit does. I don't have to ask for it. I don't have to do anything. And they said, you know what? We're going to replace that and send you another one. I'm like, great. That's wonderful. So they're a company that has great service. So I go back to them again and again. I mean, I'm not going to go buy another one if they're just going to send me one. So I'm in on this. But here's what I really love about that conversation. As I'm talking to them, they say things like, hey, we want to make sure that you've got everything that you need to stay active. Hey, we want to make sure that you are able to keep staying fit as you go through life and that you've got every tool that you need. And because of that, we're going to replace this for you. They speak their mission to me, and I'm in. Like, I'm in on it. I could go buy something from another brand, and that'd be great. It'd be wonderful. It'd be fine. 
but I believe these people really want me to be fit. They could, these things aren't in warranty anymore. Like they could make me just go buy another one. But like, I believe that they really, really want me to be fit and I buy in, I'm in on it. What if we were more like that in our missional communities? Sure, we're doing a great job of serving people and taking care of people's needs, and that's great, and that's fine, and they appreciate it. But if we never speak our mission, and if we never speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus, then we're never going to have people be all in. We're never going to have people come on board with what needs to happen. We've got to let people know that our hope is not in us, but it's in Christ. This is our goal this year. We want to see our missional communities grow in speaking the goodness of Jesus, not just church at Cane Bay. Although that's great, we want you to invite people. We invite people to church, not so that they can come and see how great church is. We invite people to church so that they can come and see how great our God is, so that they can have multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. It's why we do what we do. But the problem is, if we never speak, then people never have an opportunity to hear. They might see, but they'll never have that opportunity to hear. And if we're not doing that in missional communities, we're wasting our time. We're nothing more than a nonprofit. But it's not who we are. We're a community of people who for the past 2,000 years have had the same mission of knowing that we have hope in a Savior who found us broken and in our sin. And when he found us, he showed and he lavished love upon us and he brought us in and he exchanged our brokenness for his holiness. And he gave us grace and he gave us life as he rose from the dead. We have a great mission. We have a great hope and it's what we are about And if our missional communities don't reflect that, then we're wasting our time every time we get together and every time that we serve. How do we do this better? Just a few tips really quick and we'll finish. Number one, speak hope. Be a a people, be a group who's speaking hope as you see people that you're serving. They're going to be broken. They're going to need something greater than what life is offering them. And you have that hope You have what they need. Be someone who's speaking that into their lives. Number two, follow up. Don't just end on one conversation. If you have a conversation with someone, go to the next step and have another conversation. Give them a phone call. Uh, Follow up with them again. Number three, build relationships. Invite those people into your lives. A lot of us are really good. We'll go and we'll drop in as missional communities. We'll serve people and then we'll pull out and go back to our deal and go through our lives. But what if we started inviting those people that we're serving into our lives, into our communities, and allowed more opportunities for us to speak the hope of Jesus into them? Lastly, number four, invite them. And I don't just mean to church. I specifically mean invite them into your missional community. They're already bought into your mission if you're serving them. They already believe in what you're doing if you're serving them. They are the best person for you to bring into your missional community possible. Connect them. Bring them in. We have a family in our church who over this past semester was served and was loved and was spoken the gospel to by a missional community. We've seen incredible things happen. We've seen salvation happen in that family. And this semester, we've seen that family sign up to be a part of that missional community. That's the way that it should be. We should be speaking hope. People should be joining us in mission as they jump on board with what God is doing 
in our community. This week, as you meet with your missional community, I want you guys to have a conversation to say, how can we be more intentional this year about speaking the gospel into the lives of people? Not just serving them, but how can we be more intentional about letting people know of the hope of Jesus? Ultimately, our bottom line today is that we need to find urgency in God's glory and not our story. We're here and we believe the fact that we have urgency around this mission, that every man, woman, and child has multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. We live in a growing community that in 10 years is supposed to be the size of Mount Pleasant, and there are countless people out there who don't yet know the hope of Jesus. And we've said as a church that, you know what, we're taking responsibility that they hear. But are we just saying that? Are we really doing it? Do we really believe it? Do we really want to be serious about this mission that God has given us? We've got to feel the weight of that. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here and you're not yet a part of a missional community, you haven't signed up yet, find the community that God has for you. Sign up for one. In just a second, our ushers are going to come forward. We're going to take, pick up those baskets. Take this opportunity to sign up, to get plugged into a missional community so that you can be a part of a movement of God in this community. The more that we feel that urgency, the more that we will see every man, woman, and child have multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. You may be here this morning, and I hope and I pray that through what has happened, our worship, the bringing of God's word, that you've seen the gospel, that you've heard the gospel, and I want to give you a chance to respond to the gospel. Our worship team is going to go ahead and come back up. We're going to move into a time of worship in a moment. And as we start doing that, I'm going to be standing in the back. And if that's you this morning and you said, yes, I've heard about the good news of Jesus. Yes, I've seen it in the lives of people here. I want to respond. I'll be back there. I would love the opportunity to speak with you, to pray with you, and give you that opportunity to respond. We have a serious mission, and we have an urgency about that mission. And it's time that we took the step to say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in on the things that you are all in about. I want to be there. I want to see your movement happen in this church, in this community. We want to see the goodness of God declared. I'm going to go and ask our ushers to come forward. And I'm going to pray as well. This is an opportunity for us to respond in worship. It's an opportunity for us to respond as we give. And it's an opportunity for us to respond and say, God, I'm all in. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We know that apart from that, we are nothing, that we have no hope, that we are just a people who are left in brokenness. But God, I pray that we can celebrate and remember the hope that we have in you, knowing that it's not because of us, but it's because of you that we've been redeemed, that we've been made new. And Lord, I pray that we would feel the weight of the people around us who don't yet know that hope. God, give us an urgency for them. Give us a boldness to take the steps that we need to take to see that you are made clear, not just in our church, but in our community. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.